0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Hack My Homestead podcast. This is Sean Mills, and today is Thursday, January 4th, 2024. That's going to be interesting how long it takes me to just generally remember that it's 2024 and not 2023. Um, But anyways, today I want to talk a little bit about how we deal with a string of cloudy, rainy, rainy, you know just dreary days when we live off grid right now we are in the middle of about a week to 10 days of generally cloudy weather and that's not uncommon for the winter in tennessee in tennessee specifically january january is by far the worst production month on average in the state of tennessee and particularly in the middle part where we live why say middle. We're kind of like on the western fringe of middle Tennessee. But when you're off grid and you rely on solar generation for your power usage and you get a bunch of cloudy days in in a row, uh, there's a lot of things that you can do to kind of modulate that and try to make sure that you're, you know, not having to run the generator. At the end of the day... If we were to get really low on our batteries, then we could just flip over to generator power and we'd be okay. But to put it in perspective, on a normal sunny day, even in the winter, where the angle of the sun and the angle of our panels is not optimized, we will still generate 10 to maybe even as much as 14... Kilowatt hours in a day of power on a sunny day, right? And, you know, generally during the very sunny middle part of the day, we're sitting over 3,000 watts, you know, coming into the battery bank or coming into the charge controller at one time. And so when we have a day like yesterday, for example, and today will probably be pretty similar, and a few, you know, three days ago it was the same where we're maxing out at about 750 watts and we are getting somewhere in the neighborhood of between 2200 and 3000 watt hours per day instead of the you know as much as you know some sunny days as much as 15 but you know generally we're in the 12 to 13 range on a really sunny day in the winter. So we're operating on you know, between a quarter to a sixth of that generation on a daily basis. So what do we do to, to kind of moderate our usage? Well, one of the things is generally when it's sunny, our battery bank hits 100% every day, which means when we get a run of cloudy days, we're starting from a relatively topped off battery bank. And so our battery bank is 30,000 watt hours. Our daily usage is between five and 7,000 watts, just depending on kind of what's happening and and what we're using power for on a given day. So, you know, on on the lower end of the average, we could actually run six days with zero generation before we zeroed out the battery bank. And about four days with zero generation, before we, bat- uh, before we zeroed it out on, you know, the higher end of the average. So if we use that four days, and then we also understand that, okay, well, even on a bad, super cloudy day, we're still going to generate about 2,000 watts. Well, not 2,000 watts, that gives us about another, let's say, third of a day, right? So in those four days where we would be going from 100% down to zero, in in you know four consecutive cloudy days well over that four day period we're going to generate at least another day's worth of usage so now we're up to five days so generally when we're talking about the system that we have installed at our house we you know refer to it as having between four and five days of autonomy because even on the rainiest cloudiest days you're still going to generate something so if we start from that baseline of okay well we got four to five days Then we also know that even in a four or five, six, seven, eight, nine day stretch of cloudiness, we're we're still going to get you know typically we don't have that long of just you know what the weather uh, forecasters refer to as you know partially cloudy. You know we are getting some sun that's going to break through, and so I would say that generally, without even changing our usage we've got about five days of autonomy we've got four days of autonomy if you know an end of the world type hailstorm came through and destroyed all of our solar panels and we were getting no production we would have about four days in the battery bank but under normal non-end-of-the-world conditions i'd say we have five days in the battery bank we could stretch it to six but you know five would be kind of like the walking around number And it was the number that I had in my head when I was designing our system. And so, because I know, particularly this time of year, we're going to have a string of days with low production. So now, what can we do to reduce our usage? Well, one of the things we can do is just having the knowledge of where is the usage happening. So at our house... The number one use that we have for our power from the battery bank is refrigeration and freezing, okay? We have two freezers and a refrigerator that are on... I say, They're not on 24-7, as in the compressor isn't running 24-7, but they are generally plugged in 24-7, okay? And the freezers definitely use more power than... The refrigerator does, and the bigger freezer uses more power than the smaller freezer does. So, what can we do? Well, one of the things that we can do, and this is a very easy one for us uh, with the inside freezer because we have an inside freezer and an outside freezer now, is unplug the inside freezer and just let the freezer, you know, kind of thermal battery itself. And I would bet that my wife and kids don't even know that I do that, but I do that on a regular basis. I will just unplug the freezer and I may let it go 24 hours and then I'll plug it back in. And the reason why that is a good power saving technique is will the, the ambient temperature inside the freezer heat up during the time when it's unplugged? Yes, it will. But it's still not going to get anywhere near 32 degrees, right? We keep that freezer close to zero. Sometimes it's a little above. Sometimes it's a little below, but close to zero. And I try to keep that indoor freezer pretty darn full. As a matter of fact, right now it is extremely full because of the half cow we just picked up. So because of the the fact that it is at or near zero and it is almost completely full when i unplug it there's a significant amount of thermal mass inside that freezer keeping it cold it, it keeps you know obviously heat wants to move from the outside of the freezer to inside the freezer okay that's how that's the direction that that heat moves cold doesn't go away it heat moves too cold that's how it works so just having the stuff in the freezer itself helps to prevent that. Having making sure that the seal at the top of the freezer is in good shape and that it is fully sealed. Right, you don't want to overstack your freezer so that you can't close the lid all the way because that allows that warm air from outside the freezer to move in. But the other thing is is that the compressor motor is generally either on or off. And when it's on, it uses the same amount of power whether the food inside is at 30 degrees and it's taking it to zero or whether it's at 15 degrees and it's taking it to zero or whether it's at 8 degrees and it's taking it to zero. And what I mean by that is I'm not saying it's on for the same amount of time every time. I'm saying when it's on, it's using that amount of power. So what I've learned from cycling this freezer Is that if I unplug it for 24 hours and then plug it in for 24 hours versus leaving it plugged in for 48, at the end of that 48 hour period, the food inside or the ambient temperature inside is the same, okay? And I know that at the end of the 24 hour period where the freezer is unplugged, the food inside the freezer is all well below zero. And when I say well below zero, I mean it's frozen solid, okay? It's not even reaching the point where it is beginning to thaw at all. But what I find when I put the um, kilowatt meter on that freezer, over that 48-hour period, the freezer uses less power when it's off 24 on 24 than it does when it's on 48. Even though the compressor has to take the temperature of the stuff inside the freezer, theoretically, down further when it's been off for 24 hours. Not theoretically, like, I don't know what the actual number is, but I know for a fact that when the freezer is off for 24 hours, the ambient temperature inside is warmer than it would be if it was not off for 24 hours, right? So, it's not off, it's not high enough to cause any food spoilage concerns, but I know that in that forty-eight hour period, it uses less power when I cycle it like that. Now, is that bad for the compressor? I have no idea. Don't really care. Uh, maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. When that compressor goes out, I'll know it. <laughs> but I've had that freezer for several years now, and I don't think that what I the way I'm cycling it is causing a problem. It, you know, it just doesn't make any logical sense that it would, right? So I've got the freezer. I cycle it on and off. And that reduces the power usage over that each 48-hour period. I have not done that with the outdoor freezer. And honestly, with the outdoor freezer, it probably would work even better this time of year because, well, the ambient temperature outside is colder than the ambient temperature inside. I have not, since we put that outdoor freezer in, I have not actually put a kilowatt meter on it to run any testing on it to figure out if there's, you know, if it makes sense to cycle it, if it makes sense to not. Right now, that freezer is not even close to half full. So my guess is that it's probably cycling a little bit more than it otherwise would if it were full. So one of the things I need to do is I need to put a kilowatt meter on it and I need to run it for about 3 days and get it a reading. And then I need to fill all the empty space in the freezer up with bottles of water, let those freeze, and then run the same 72-hour test and just see how much of a difference it makes. Difference it makes. And then once everything in the freezer is at at that uh, proper temperature, then I need to run some you know 24 hour on, 24 hour off tests and just see what kind of difference that makes. I haven't done that yet, so I'm just leaving that freezer plugged in. Now I could do that with the refrigerator also, but because the refrigerator generally stays closer to you know what they refer to as the danger zone for food safety, I don't do that. I have done that in the past. When I, for example, took some things out of the freezer and put it in the fridge and then unplugged the fridge overnight so that I could turn my inverter off overnight. And the reason I did that was the big inverter uses power just to be on. It uses about, you know, I think it's 40 or 50 or 60 watts just to be on. And so I could turn the big inverter off if needed turn the refrigerator off. Well, obviously the refrigerator turns off when the big inverter turns off and then just turn it back on the next morning. So because we know that that is our largest load, that is one of the ways that we can manage our daily usage. Then I would say our second biggest load, and this is going to potentially sound funny to you guys, but it is what it is. I'm pretty sure our second biggest load is overnight fans for white noise we have three bedrooms being used right now in the house and when everyone is every each of those three people are ready to go to bed they turn a fan on in their bedroom and it stays on until they get up the next day so for my bedroom we have a box fan that box fan turns on probably around eight o'clock at night and it stays on till about 6 or 7 o'clock the next morning just depending on what day it is my daughters both turn fans on i don't know sometimes they go to bed at 9 sometimes they go to bed at 1 a.m. but sometimes sometime in that time frame they turn their fans on and then you know amy gets up at i think about 5:30 to get ready for a school. I think from, you know, listening, her fan probably doesn't get turned off until she comes down for the last time. So let's just call that 6 a.m. And then Ashley, you know, sometimes she's up at 8, sometimes she's up at noon. So, um, so you know, that, and that's why I say that's probably our second largest load in the house is each one of those fans is going to draw about 80 to 90 watts to, depending on which fan we're talking about and it's got a but I'd say between a 10 and 12 hour on time per bedroom depending on the bedroom so that's a significant amount of power when you think about it so when we're getting really low on power well guess what turn your white noise on your phone and use that Uh, and and a lot of people might say well why wouldn't you do that anyways well you know when you live off grid having small luxuries like turning a fan on in your room you know is it makes makes it feel a little bit more like home and because we've got so much autonomy built into the battery bank and and solar generation metric we don't have to be miserly with we don't have to be so miserly with the power that we can't run those fans right but if we were to get low like that would be the next place so place number one is managing the indoor freezer place number two is managing the overnight fans I say place number two because that has the biggest impact but really the the second thing we do revolves around you know kind of like the tv right so right now in the house we have one tv and eventually we'll have more uh, I've got one in my studio, but my studio doesn't even have power to it right now. I just unplugged that since we're in the low power management situation that we're in right now. But, you know, generally speaking, uh, the the second thing that we do is we just don't use the TV, right? So, that's not a significant amount of power use every day on on a normal day, but... Whatever it is goes to zero when we're in this power con- you know, conservation mode because of cloudy days. So my wife and I are currently re-watching the Game of Thrones series because we get HBO Max for free because of our uh, cell phone plan. And we really enjoyed the show. And there's not a whole lot else on that we enjoy as much as we enjoy that. So we're just re-watching it. And we're enjoying rewatching it. We are enjoying it as much as we enjoyed it the first time through. But we haven't watched an episode of Game of Thrones in probably three weeks. Part of that was because of my travel schedule with running around doing solar installations. But when I have been home, it's, hey, you know, we'll just, we'll use the, the phone screen for entertainment instead of the big power hog, quote unquote power hog. It's like a 40 inch screen TV, but you know what I mean? We just don't use that. Uh, The next one is lighting, right? So we're very vigilant on not leaving lights on, using the 12-volt lighting, uh, using some battery-powered motion sensor lighting in certain areas. So the only light in the entire house that stays on, you know, pretty much 24-7 is a hallway. I say hallway, our stairwell light. I have a 9-watt equivalent LED Bulb in the stairwell that stays on because when the upstairs door to the stairs is closed, the stairwell is dark. Even in the middle of the day at the top of the stairs, it's a little bit dark, and that stairwell is not a standard kind of 712 pitch. It's a 45 degree stair with kind of, I won't say uneven, but all of the treads are not the exact same length because it's literally logs split in half that are made, that the treads are made out of. And so, you know, I think most of us in the family at one point or another, especially early on when we lived in that house, have probably fallen down those steps. Um, actually, I think went like from the top to the bottom one time, just bouncing her butt down the steps. And, and uh, I've, I've hit, I've lost it on the bottom a few times. I think Don has, and I'm sure Amy has as well. But, you know, we, I, want that, I want that lit up. And in the event that the main inverter were off, which powers that light, we have a string of 12-volt Christmas lights wrapped around um, the handrail that would come, would come on and stay on as a backup that runs straight off the battery bank. So again, light management, that's a big one because again, that's one of our bigger. Um, again, it's not a big load compared to most people's house, but for our usage, it is a big load. The next one would be the water pump, okay? So we have a deep well pump that does not—it's not hooked to the main system. It will be soon, but it's currently not hooked to the main system. The deep well pump, if we need it, runs off of a generator, and then we have a smaller pump that pressurizes the house and distributes the water throughout the house, and so currently, we have, you know, water in the in the IBC tote that's kind of like the triple filtered system, and one of the things that we might do to manage that load would be to turn the utility room breaker off at night. And again, all that does is just, if someone's up in the middle of the night and they use the bathroom and flush the toilet, we have enough pressure and enough kind of battery bank of pressurized water to fill the toilet up and and to do that several times throughout the night. But once that pressure drops below the cut-in pressure of the pump, then the pump would kick on. Well, again, similar to the fact that I know that cycling the freezer on and off 24 hours uses less power than just plugged in for 48 hours straight. I also know that cycling the well pump from, you know, 20 or even 10 PSI up to the cutout pressure of 55 PSI uses less than going from 35 to 55 and 35 to 55 and 35 to 55 and so again that's another strategy it's not one that makes a, a huge difference but if it makes of you know a 300 watt difference every day over our five day battery bank that's 1500 watts right so that's equivalent to earning about another day or so of production so you see how all these little steps adding up can make a difference the other thing that i don't do when our battery bank is low is charge my tool batteries so when the battery bank is low i have all of my um you know all of my tool batteries on the same surge protector and when battery bank is low that gets just gets flipped off and i have enough extra batteries to be able to run at least a week, most of the time more than a week, depending on what I'm doing, without having to recharge any batteries. And so that gets turned off. And in the event that I really need it, well, I can use the vehicles, right? So I have an inverter in the vehicle that I'm sitting in recording this podcast right now with a tool charger with a rigid battery hooked up to it. And I am currently, when I got in the car to start recording the podcast, I was on two bars and I'm currently charging up the fifth or the fourth bar. So I'm getting close to a hundred percent. So I was already going to make this drive. It doesn't cost me anything or adjust anything that I'm doing. Maybe it, count, it costs an ounce of gas. I don't know. Probably not even that because of the, you know, this is, we're not talking about a ton of power. This is an, uh, it's an 18 volt. Battery and it's a four amp hour battery. So we're talking about what's the math on that 40 uh, 32 watts, right? No, 72 watts. So 72 watts. My battery, it, you know, when my inverter or rather when my alternator is turning, it's probably turning at close to 14 volts. So what would that be five a smidge over five amp hours? That the inverter has to crank or the uh, alternator has to crank out to charge this battery up right that's nothing and i i would imagine my my engine is not running any under any more of a load than it normally is to charge this battery bank or this battery up and i can charge this battery as a matter of fact on this drive i could probably charge two four amp hour batteries on the way out and two on the way back so again it's nothing but, those, but just those little things. So again, that one battery, that's 72 watts. I've got five of them, right? So we're talking about 350 watts. 350 watts, not a ton. But if I can delay having to draw that from my big battery bank in the house for a week, well, then great. I can take on more cloudy days in a row. And then outside of that, you know, obviously we cook with... Uh, propane for the vast majority of our cooking we do have a electric powered pellet smoker well guess what's not being used this week that electric powered pellet smoker when my battery banks back up to 100 and I've got you know a bunch of sunny days in a row coming in I will probably start smoking more stuff right now I'm not smoking anything Um, I'm using propane for all of the cooking needs well, I say all the cooking needs. My wife still likes making her, air, her bacon in the air fryer, and we are still using the electric uh, coffee machine, right, that grinds the coffee and makes the coffee for us. And it's delicious. I'm currently working on uh, a cup of Holler Roast, I think Rwanda medium uh, roast right now, which is delicious. But, you know, in the event that we were to start getting really low on the battery bank, guess what happens? We go back to hand grinding and French press on the coffee, and we go back to cooking the bacon either in the oven or on the stovetop using the propane. So all of those little things. Or I will say, um, last night and the night before, we actually heated up some smoked pork from last week on top of the word burning stove. So last couple days since we're not running the mini split on the inside uh, again because we're not getting any sun right now we have had to actually run a couple of fires the last few days but so we're getting that heat might as well use it throw the you know chop up the pork shoulder throw it in the in a pot put the pot on top of the wood burning stove while the fire's going kind of flip it around here and there to make sure it's not sticking to the bottom and then we went and pulled it, or chopped it, really, and um, and then threw it back in there, made sure the, the grease was nice and incorporated with all of the meat, and, um, and threw it back in there for about another 20 minutes, and then, boom, we're good to go. And then last night, uh, that's what Donna wanted to do for dinner, so she, again, just threw some of that chopped up meat in the pot onto the wood-burning stove after I got a fire going, and there you go dinners warmed up. So all those little things like that just contribute to making that battery bank last a little bit longer. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. And so, um, I think I'll wrap it up there. Let's see. Where are we? Yeah, oh, almost 30 minutes. So yeah, those are the different little things that we do. <coughs> um, if you guys go check check out the website or my Facebook or the Hack of My Homestead Facebook uh, or even the Facebook group solu- or Off-Grid Solutions for an On-Grid World, you will see I have a uh, referral code to com. They have a little bundle that they've put together, which is 35-plus things for $35 that they are putting out. Um, It's just a bundle of a bunch of really, really great permaculture and homesteading information that is just, uh, I mean, hours and hours and hours of fantastic information, including my ebook. My ebook is part of the bundle. And so if you're interested in that, go check out that link. And if you follow my affiliate link, then I get a little piece on the back end. Doesn't cost you anything extra. Uh, But I get a little piece on the back end for referring some of my traffic over to uh, Permies. So uh, if you haven't checked it out, check out my YouTube and uh, Instagram and TikTok. I've been putting some videos up on some of the install work that I've been doing here recently, uh, as well as the video for the uh, DIY uh, Delta Pro system that I built for less than half the price of an EcoFlow Delta for, uh, Delta Pro system so you might want to check that out if that's something that you're interested in And let's see what else is going on uh, I do have some interviews lined up for this month so we're moving forward with that part of the plan and uh, I'm heading out today to I think do the last few steps of an install I'm gonna film doing some firmware updates to some equipment some eg4 equipment And uh, then weekend after next, I'm going to be going down to Haven Earth in Old Fort, Tennessee. We're going to be taking their hemp house, tiny house, fully off-grid, installing that system, as well as talking about some plans for taking their yurts off-grid, as well as potentially the uh, water pumping. Uh, They have four wells on the property, two of which are being used right now and we're looking at maybe taking both of those wells off the grid so lots of off-grid things happening there in old fort tennessee you guys ought to check them out Uh, havenearth.biz or i think it's havenearthtradeschool.net or just google those things a uh, bunch of really interesting stuff going on, and I'm excited to be working with those guys this year. I imagine I'll probably be in and out down there most of the year putting together some content for the trade school, running some workshops, and uh, they've got a bunch of solar infrastructure and battery infrastructure going on this year. So just really excited to be working with those guys. They get it. They are coming after their solar plan plan, with self-sufficiency but also uh, an eye on being budget conscious and not spending a bunch of money just because stuff looks cool uh you know tiptoeing in so to speak dipping the toe in the solar water and uh, seeing how it works getting data and then determining whether they want to expand the system uh, after that so really excited to be working with those guys and uh, with that again wrapping it up for the day thanks everyone for joining me Uh, You can email me with comments, questions, or concerns at Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at hackmyhomestead.com. I do have a little bit of information I've gotten from you guys over the holidays that I will be incorporating into shows in the near future. So thanks for sending that stuff in and keep it coming. Happy New Year, and we'll talk to you next time.